0: So the reading for today will be taken from Exodus chapter five, verse 22, all the way through to Exodus chapter six, verse 12. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on these people and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go because of my mighty hand. He will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Do you ever shout at the television? Maybe it's strictly and uh, Craig Revel Horwood gives a three and you go, no, no, it should be a seven. Maybe it's a crime drama and you say, no, no, he's the baddie. Don't go anywhere near him. For me, it's always sport. If it's cricket, I can't help saying catch. If it's football, it's pass the ball. If it's rugby, tackle him, tackle him. Do you find yourself speaking to someone that you're watching? Well, we should be at this point shouting at Moses, shouldn't we? Moses! Believe God, he's going to deliver you. It isn't as it looks. You ever found yourself sort of looking at thinking, oh, how slow could you be? Well, this passage is written to help us when we don't feel and see God as if he's acting in our lives. What is life like when it doesn't feel or look as if God is at work? That's how this passage opens. Now, Graham opened up that theme last week. and I'd just like to do, just to sort of touch on it again in these words of Moses. It doesn't feel like God is at work. Uh, notice what Moses says, verse 22 of chapter five. Why, Lord, have you brought trouble or perhaps more, pa- more powerfully evil on this people? Uh, and then verse 23. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble, evil, on this people it feels like god you're you're in collaboration with pharaoh not me uh, he brings trouble are you bringing trouble too sometimes life can feel like that and what does moses see well he can't see rescue at all you've not rescued your people at all i can see no sign no evidence. There's nothing that I can see with my eyes that you're rescuing us. How do you feel? And what do you see in your life? The evidence, God rescuing you. It's an ongoing issue. The Apostle Paul, that great chapter of Romans 8, says, look, you look at Christians, what do you see? You see people who sin, get sick and die. The great signs of not being one of God's. He writes a whole chapter to reassure Christians that God is with them, though it doesn't look and sometimes feel as God is with them. What about us right now? Well, Graham last week unpacked the feeling of being in Covid. One of the things he said to us was to pan back a bit. Well, I like us to pan back, go back a hundred years Maybe even begin to think of going forward a hundred years. What can you see? What does it feel like? Well, actually, it makes it sometimes even harder. 1910 in Edinburgh was the uh, World Missionary Council, 1,215 delegates of mission organisations. And at that time, well, what could they see? They saw a declining Islam. This is before oil, before rich uh, Islamic cultures. It, It looked like Islam was going to die out. It looked like Christianity was going to thrive. From the Urals in the east, right across Western Europe, across the North Atlantic, South Atlantic, around Australasia, parts of Southern Africa, Christianity looked vibrant, even triumphant. The slogan of the World Mission Council in 1910 was the evangelization of the world in this generation. That's how it felt. That's what it looked like. But how different reality was. Mm. World War I, World War II, the phenomenal secularisation of Western Europe. Uh, Christians in Western Europe feeling totally marginalised. Uh, numbers in decline i i uh, uh, this guy peter bryley i've been in contact with peter about ch- statistics on church attendance and so on one of his books he called it a bit optimistically pulling out the reality the nosedive he just looks at statistics on church attendance over these last 30 or 40 years basic is by 2035 the established church in england anglicanism will be extinct in most rural parts of the country just on the demographics not young people not coming in old people dying it's a nosedive of church decline in just over a 100 years Uh, most young people today seem totally alienated we're going to be doing the explore course together in our home groups and uh, i think we're going to be able to show you one of the introductory videos where young people are questioned it's fascinating what they say Uh, uh, one young woman i think canadian possibly says uh, i love it at christmas time because i can go to church and then she says has got nothing to do with god another young lady probably perhaps 15 16 maybe uh, asked her you know what do you think about religion yeah i quite like kind of things like buddhism And then she says, anything but Christianity. That's the young generation uh, now far removed from understanding the Christian gospel. Growing up to in time be in places of power, changing laws, making Christians feel far removed from shaping our culture. That's what it feels like. To be a Christian now, looking back 100 years now, you look forward 100 years or well, well, none of us knows what a new week will bring. But one great commentator, uh, a British Christian lives in America called Oz Guinness. So, so you look forward 100 years, maybe several major challenges, questions, really. Will worldwide Islam commit to be peaceful? Uh, second, will the world's new global superpower China, will it use its power benignly or aggressively? And third, will climate change threaten the lives of countless hundreds of millions who, with the world's major cities basically being near the coast, what will happen if sea levels rise? These are the the big questions, but the one thing he did also recognise is, well, what will happen to christianity in the west uh, yes it's thriving in certain parts of the world but will where we live western europe become a kind of desert where there are very few christians indeed uh, peter Briley's sober analysis is that what has kept the church as it were pulling out the nosedive is the wonderful arrival in this country of people from strongly christian cultures of, of africa And Far East Asia now that's panning back and sometimes panning back makes us feel like why have you sent us here now Uh, it it doesn't look as if Christianity can thrive in this secular culture it can feel so difficult remember what uh, Moses when he first met Pharaoh what were the very first words Pharaoh said chapter 5 verse 2 Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. You may feel as if you are surrounded by modern pharaohs, little pharaohs, if you like, who reign in their own little lives. It's my life. I don't know the Lord. Who is he? And I'm not going to do what he says. I reject him. Remember how Pharaoh went on to say, pay no attention to the lies. It can easily feel overwhelming today, personally, but as Christians in our culture, not just our church, but churches all across Western Europe, can feel as if we're swimming against a very strong tide. That's how Moses felt. It's how we may feel. And what do we do in that world? It's so easy, isn't it? Keep your head down and your mouth shut. Living for Jesus doesn't seem as exciting and as dynamic and as positive as it could be so into that world what do we find next in the passage well we find God saying Moses Christians today I am still God God is still God you see in that speech from verse 2 down to verse 8 it starts with I am the Lord and it ends with I am the Lord and twice in between I am the Lord I am the Lord God is not intimidated by people rejecting him God is not uh, his ego is not bruised he's not whimpering in a corner feeling somehow fragile no God is the Lord he is the living God, the eternal, all powerful, all present, all holy, all good, never changing, glorious I am. Now, you know that, uh, some of you might know that film, Spartacus. And at the end, when the Romans have captured all the slaves, they ask, which one is Spartacus? Somebody gets up, I am Spartacus. And then others begin to say, no, I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. Everybody stands up to sort of stand in solidarity. And the Romans can't really tell who's Spartacus. But that's not the same as with this claim here. There is only one who can say, I am the Lord. There is only one in the whole history of the human race that has also been able to say, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. bread of life i am the light of the world i am the gate into the sheepfold i am the good shepherd i am the resurrection and the life i am the way the truth and the life i am the true vine only one person has been able to say i am the lord and ever convince others that it's true the lord jesus takes this very same phrase On his own lips. And indeed, the people at the time rejected him. And the Lord Jesus said to them, Why are you seeking to stone me? And they said, Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus takes these words and says them to you. And the thrilling thing is this He has persuaded countless millions in the past. Countless millions in the present and who knows how many in the future that those words are true. So that's the first thing Moses is told. Moses, I am God. But the second thing, not only that I exist, but, but who, who I am and what do I do? Characteristically, I am a rescuer, a saviour. In the text, we get a past, present, and a future. I am the Lord, verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I made myself known, not as intimately to them as I am now to you, but I appeared, I met with people and I committed, I made a covenant. I committed in the past to the rescue, to the salvation of people. That's the... God says, look, you can look in the past. What do you find there? I'm a rescuing God. And right now, verse five, where God says, and and it perhaps in our translation doesn't come as clearly. I'm hearing the groaning. I, I feel for your pain right now. I am remembering my covenant. I have acted in the past, but I've not gone to sleep. I'm an active God right now. God tells us he hears our groans and we we don't know how to quite put it in words we we almost feel so overwhelmed at times with discouragement and frustration and feeling as if i'm not making any difference god hears those cries i am right now and then from verse six onwards we get seven huge i will i am the lord i will bring you out i will free you i will redeem you I will take you as my own people. I will bring you to the land and I will, uh, I get, I, I, I've will—I sworn to you. The Lord, uh, I will give it to you as a possession. The Lord makes these seven great I will uh, promises. This is what I will do. These are the great words that God speaks to Moses. These are the kind of God he is. And, and notice within that, there's that lovely phrase, I will rescue I will redeem you. That word there means I pay a price to set you free. But, but not just like as a kind of bargain hunter, but as a family member who rescues a family member who's fallen on hard times. That, that, that idea of a kinsman, somebody of my own family who steps in and does Everything that it takes, God says, I am like that to you. You are like family to me and I will pay pay any price to free you, to rescue you from slavery and bring you to a place of, of real freedom. A place where you belong, home. That's the promise God makes. That's the great commitment he promises Moses. Now, Moses believes God. Verse nine, Moses reported this to the Israelites. That's encouraging, isn't it? Now, in one sense, we can do better than Moses, can't we? Uh, This is the bit where we'd be shouting at the TV. "Uh, Moses, believe God. It's going to happen. We know how the story unfolds. We know that God is going to intervene dramatically with his mighty power and his, as it were, his outstretched arm. We know not only that exodus, that rescue from physical slavery, we also know far more of the story, don't we? We know that God himself came and rescued us with an outstretched arm when they were stretched out on the cross, taking the full blame for the evil his people had done, paying the price To set slaves of a deeper slavery free. The slavery of that anti-God bias in our hearts. That consequences that will last for all eternity. Jesus comes to rescue us from that. He's come to bring salvation. And we have a great sign. Moses' sign was the, put the staff on the ground. Our sign is the sign of the resurrection. Jesus said to people in his own time, no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah, the sign of the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking to people in Athens, he comes to the climax of his his sermon in Acts chapter 17, where he, he explains to the clever Athenians what God has done. And he goes on to say this, in the past God overlooked ignorance, But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn back to him for forgiveness. All people everywhere, not just in Athens, then and there, but in Western Europe now, in Bedford today. God commands you to turn back to him and he will forgive you everything. And this is it. He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. It is so easy for Christians to say, oh, if only God would do some signs today. If only God would do some sort of miracles today and everybody would be wowed. And the early Christian writers say, no, God has given the great sign. There is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. If one man is raised from the dead, then everything that one man Jesus said is true. And the great thing now that God is waiting to do, the one great appearance, the one great sign, the one great miracle that God is now going to do is to judge the world. In one sense, be careful what you ask for. God, show yourself. Well, if God showed himself now, he would come as judge. He's done the sign and everyone can know that there is eternal life for Jesus has conquered death. And we Christians need to get that. And go, do you know what? We were often looking like, please, God, do something now. And God says, look, I've done something now. I've raised Jesus from the dead. There is now nothing but the judgment to come. And the gap between then and now is so that people can hear the good news and believe. That's God's speech to Moses. That's God's speech to us. But you notice that's not where our passage ends, is it? It would be lovely to end on that passage, wouldn't it? You're on a high note. Come on. But it's as if God gives a half time team talk and we go out of the the dressing room, as it were, the changing rooms where the coaches say, come on, you don't you don't need to feel defeated. You don't need to feel discouraged. We're on the winning side. And we start the second half and they score two goals in five minutes. And we go like, what was the point of that? Notice what happens to Moses. The passage doesn't end on, as it were, that high. It ends on this rather depressing note, doesn't it? Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen. Because of their discouragement... And harsh labour, their difficult circumstances. And then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. And how does the passage end? Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips. That's how this passage ends it ends almost back to square one what does it feel like when it doesn't seem as if God is at work Moses is questioning his own calling that little phrase faltering lips is almost as if like God it doesn't look like you're with me as a speaker Uh, remember how the great prophet Isaiah had a vision of God and he felt oh my lips are unclean I I can't speak for you God and and uh uh, an angel, a cherub from the, the altar, touches moses lips and, says, uh, to lips and says, no, you are clean. Speak for me. He's an anointed speaker. Moses says, I don't feel I've got clean lips. I, I'm not making any difference for you, God. I spoke to your people. They didn't believe me. What chance have I got with Pharaoh? Moses is down in the dumps again, isn't he? Why does the passage end like that? Because so often that is where we are, isn't it? At the end of a, a week living for Jesus in the workplace, in our leisure activities, in our home, we often feel, I don't think I've made much difference. Perhaps I've messed up a few things. And yeah, OK, well, that's me. And then we go into Sunday and we hear God's word and perhaps get some encouragement. We We hear the truth about Jesus and we go, yeah, I I do believe that. I do believe he is the Lord and I do believe God raised him from the dead. And I do believe that promise. If I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, I shall be saved. But then Monday comes round. And by 11 o'clock on Monday morning, I lost it with the kids at breakfast. The boss has given me impossible things to do by lunchtime. And I certainly don't think I can speak up for the Lord Jesus if I had the opportunity to. So often, Sunday, which is God meeting with us, means on Monday we forget. And we go out, as it were, we go from the gathered group of Christians out into that world where it doesn't seem as if God is at work. That world will make us feel like, have we been hoodwinked? Uh, some of you know that great movie, E.T., Extraterrestrial, where uh, a visitor from another planet meets a lovely, humble young boy who believes. And a few others believe. But we know it's all make-believe. Are we like that? Are we? Have we been hoodwinked? And when we're together, it all seems OK. I uh, did, uh, when I was younger, quite a lot of work on left-wing Marxist politics. And the left-wing groups of the 1970s were ever so interesting, they're always falling out with each other. But of course, when you're in that group, it all seems so rational, so uh, sensible. You can explain everything in Marxist terms until you step out and then it looks really proper weird, proper in-house, proper ideological. You've got beliefs that you impose on the world And they're going to fit wherever the world is. And reality doesn't quite fit the theory. So you try and change reality. Is that what Christians are doing? Is that what we've been brought into? It, it, It seems believable when you're together and you read this book. But then you step out and you meet the Israelites and you meet the pharaohs and you go, is this really so? And the longer you spend, as it were, surrounded by pharaohs who say, well, I don't know who the Lord is. I don't know him. I'm not going to obey him. It's a pack of lies, you know. You've just been deceived. The longer you hear those words from pharaoh after pharaoh after pharaoh, you begin to think, will anyone ever know the Lord? Is it going to make any difference? That's how it feels and the bible puts this passage here to say god knows how you feel but but here's the thing it may be the end of our passage but it's not the end of the story in chapter six the rest of it we're going to see in coming weeks moses and aaron are just humans like us we have their uh genealogy they're just human beings And then we're going to see God meeting with Moses once more. The third great encounter between God and Moses. And then we're going to read in chapter 7, verse 6. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Verse 10. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. We're going to find God bearing with Moses, strengthening him. Being patient with him, and he's like that with you. He knows you sometimes feel discouraged. You know, he knows sometimes your circumstances individually or as a church or as churches in Western Europe after a hundred years of decline. He knows our circumstances, and he keeps saying, Listen to me. We had a lovely song at the end of the Lord's Supper last week Set your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and the things of this world will fall strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And this is, in a sense, another one of those times. It's the second meeting of God with Moses and God is being patient with Moses. He's still breathing words of truth, words of grace till this fragile human being, just like you, just like me, gets it. And goes, yes, God really is. Jesus really is the Lord. He really has conquered death. We really have good news for the whole world. We're really confident, not in ourselves. As Paul said to the early Christians in Corinth who did exactly the same. Where are the signs? Where's the wisdom? And Paul says, yeah, Jews seek for signs and Greeks seek for wisdom, but we preach christ jesus and him crucified and that is the power of god the crucified one who loved us and rescued us and forgave us everything to follow him and to do just as he commanded is something that can happen in your life too just as it happened in moses life may the lord encourage you as you meet with him in his word And you know that he knows your weaknesses, but he's still breathing those words of truth and grace to you too. May you know that in Jesus name. Amen.